Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, what's next as the government continues to manage the coronavirus crisis? Our government has already invested in a strategy for increased screening and support for vaccine research and clinical trials. We've been guided by science since the very beginning. And right now, both the COVID-19 Vaccine Task Force and the Immunity Task Force are doing important work to help us identify the most promising vaccine options and strategies. What are the pitfalls in the transition from CERB to employment insurance? We have stopped the Liberal government from cutting the help to Canadians. Their plan was to cut the help by $400. So from 2000 down to 1600, we were able to stop that and make sure the help that Canadians get remains $2,000 per month. That's a major victory for Canadian workers. And with the speech from the throne expected to pass, when could we see the next election? The thing to watch for is if there becomes an opportune time where the government thinks it's time to go to the polls in search of a majority government, it will find a way to engineer its own defeat and we would be off to the polls. The next possible time if the speech from the throne gets through would be around a budget, which I think we, we likely have to see uh, in you know February or March of next year. It's Monday, September 28th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Peter, thank you for being with us. Hi, Mark. Always a pleasure. So we're at, we're at an interesting juncture right now where we've got a rise in cases in many parts of the country, uh, in part because of back to school and back to some regular activities in some places. And at the same time, the CERB, the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, is expiring and we're shifting towards using employment insurance benefits to shore up support for people who are uh, suffering and disadvantaged during this time. So there's a lot in play right now, along with the, the politics around all of it. So let's start with where we're at on managing the coronavirus crisis. Where does the government stand right now and what should we watch for in the days ahead? I think there's so many balls in the air here, Mark, and it's going to be really interesting and in in some cases uh, maybe concerning over the next couple of weeks to to watch where we go on a number of different fronts. The CERB uh, ran out this weekend. The government's trying to transition people to EI. It's created a couple of, you know, three different programs to uh, provide uh, some sort of guaranteed income to people who can't work uh, as the pandemic sort of flares up again and, and it looks like we're, we're getting a second wave. And the other thing to watch for as well is the relationship, I think, between the federal government and the premiers. I mean, you know, uh, they were all pretty much in lockstep uh, through the last seven months of the pandemic, but now we see some, you know, uh, some anger flaring up in some provinces about the need to uh, to be able to take on the pandemic and, and take on the other demands of the healthcare system with more money coming without strings attached from the federal government for health transfers. Uh, the government, words coming out of the government is, you know, we're, we're happy to talk about this, but all the indications are that any more money that gets transferred will, will have strings attached. So where we've seen this common front to fight the pandemic, uh, you know, are there cracks now showing that will raise questions about how effectively they can fight the pandemic as a united federal a provincial group of leaders if this is hanging over the conversation. Uh, but I think there's a lot of anxiety in the land, and the government's really got to get this right. It, it, it got lots of praise for rolling out the CERB payments to keep people whole uh, when the pandemic hit. Now I think there's a lot of concern about exactly uh, how these new programs are going to work. The legislation has to be passed quickly through Parliament. I think it will. 
but this becomes a, a, a more challenging administrative function than the CERB was. That was just get the money out and worry about fraud later. This is now going to put the, the actual technical systems of the government's you know, uh, uh, Employment Insurance and Service Canada into play. And I think there's lots of concern about how, how quickly this is going to be able to work and whether it's going to work properly once it gets started. Yeah, that will be a challenge, obviously. And then there's the whole issue of how do you manage the spread of infections? And I know there are jurisdictional issues. There are other uh, there, there are other discussions going on about testing protocols and and more PPE and uh, the number of uh, of uh, vaccines that the government is ordering from various suppliers. Should a vaccine be developed somewhere in the near future? So uh, there are lots of milestones ahead as as governments of all levels try to contain the coronavirus. Yeah, and I think there there you know you can break it down into a couple of categories. I would say the stuff you can. Uh, you can manage and control, and then the stuff that you can manage but don't control. You know, the vaccine will come when the vaccine comes, and it's the responsibility of government to be ready when that happens, and the government's gone out and pre-ordered a bunch of, of different vaccines, uh, put ourselves on the list from a, a number of different companies. Um, managing, you know, the flare-up, the second wave, is is the bigger challenge, uh, clearly, uh, we'll get to a vaccine when the vaccine's ready. It's what happens between now and then. And we're seeing, you know, big spikes again on the weekend in Ontario and Quebec. And I think there's, there's a lot of concern about why it's happening. And, and, and in some cases we know, you know, it's a, a lot of the cases are among young people and people are letting down their guard. And it's, I think what we need to watch for in the next couple of weeks is, is that message going to sink through to people? Look, this is not over. Um, this, this, as Prime Minister said last week, this could get, the second wave could be worse than the first wave. So people really need to, to knuckle down and take the advice of government and healthcare, uh, professionals, you know, seriously and make sure they're, they're taking the precautions they're, they're supposed to take or things could get, uh, seriously bad. And that becomes a challenge for the whole country. So let's overlay the political context onto this. Uh, there was lots of discussion late last week about what Jagmeet Singh and the NDP would do. It appears as though uh, there's enough there for the throne speech to be passed. Jagmeet Singh is, is, it doesn't appear is going to vote against the throne speech or have the NDP do that. So we appear to have avoided a fall election, or at least in, in the next few weeks. Uh, but what happens next? What, what, are the, what are the other pieces of this puzzle? Well, I mean, you know, from the political perspective, uh, I think the Jagmeet Singh story has been really interesting the last week. Uh, it was, you know, don't don't count on my support unless I get, uh, you know, the changes in, uh, you know, the, the proper uh, government payment to replace the CERB, and it looks like he's satisfied with that. Says he is, they've got a deal, and with sick leave, and it looks like he's satisfied with that. But now he's making he's making clear that, you know, the pandemic sick leave provisions, he's going to push to make those permanent in the EI system. He's also said and told me in, in the conversation last week that he's prepared, uh, you know, it, it, he, he will not answer the question, is your support for the throne speech absolutely guaranteed when the vote on the speech from the throne comes? And he's saying, look, that's not before me now. Like, I'm trying to get the best I can for Canadians. So I think the path he's following here is, uh, to exercise the power of a, a party that has the balance of power is to, is to go back again to this well time and again. And I think that's what you're going to see over the next number of weeks. Jagmeet Singh saying, if you want my support in the speech for the throne, now I want this. 
And even after that, he's making clear that, look, if, if I get what I want for the people of Canada, uh, I can see us not having an election through the term of the government. Another three years of a minority government following, which would be highly, highly unusual. Uh, but he's saying uh, he's prepared to do that. On the flip side of that, the thing to watch for is if there becomes an opportune time where the government thinks it's time to go to the polls in search of a majority government, it will find a way to engineer its own defeat, and we would be off to the polls. The next possible time, if the speech from the throne gets through, would be around a budget, which I think we'd, we'd likely have to see uh, in you know February or March of next year, because we'll get an economic update before this year is over, but that is likely not a votable, uh, not a confidence issue. The government will tell us, unless the government decides to make it that, and, and the government has the prerogative to make any piece of legislation a confidence issue. So we could see that, but uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how you know Jagmeet Singh leverages uh, his support for a the minority liberal government and how many times he goes back to ask for something else. If we are settling into a fall without an election, uh, what else is there to watch for? There is, of course, the uh, the, the return to Parliament of Aaron O'Toole at some point after he recovers from contracting the coronavirus and steps fully into the job of a conservative leader. Uh, what else will you be watching for and observing as uh, as this unusual fall session unfolds in kind of a hybrid fashion with some people uh, connecting virtually and others actually in the House of Commons? I think the next couple of weeks will tell us, Mark, the next month probably. I mean, there will be the usual, um, you know, uh, you know, political machinations that that we're even seeing now in a, in a minority government. But the story I'll be watching for will be COVID, then COVID, then COVID, then COVID. I think that's clearly where uh, the heads of politicians are going to be. And if we keep seeing this spike in numbers, all of the other stories, there will be, as there should be, there will be the constant debate about the management of how the government is is doing its job. And, and, and as I said earlier, if things go south on the new EI payments and the new uh, programs they've put in place to help uh, Canadians through the pandemic. There'll be lots of questions about that. But I'm not sure that if the situation gets worse uh, on the pandemic, that anybody in Parliament will be... Uh, will, th- will there be a tolerance for, for anything else in the Parliament if this becomes bad again and politicians are called upon to check their, uh, you know, check their own ambitions and help the country get... Uh, through this difficult time, if that's where we're headed. There won't be much of an appetite in the Canadian public to hear anything but that. All right, good to have your insights on all of this, Peter. We'll continue to watch as the week unfolds. Thank you for joining us today. Always a pleasure, Mark. Take care. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At globalnews.ca, Mira Estarda argues Canada's economic stability hinges on a plan that includes universal child care. Estarda writes, We need women's participation in the labor force to rebuild and grow our economy. The throne speech suggests the Trudeau government recognizes this. Women have lost jobs at a higher rate than men during COVID-19, and they cannot return to the workforce unless child care is both affordable and safe. Universal child care may seem like an overwhelming task, but we are living... In overwhelming times. In the Toronto Star, Robin Sears asks if we will be duped again over universal child care. Sears writes, The evidence is no longer debatable. Child care done well really does make a nation richer as well as fairer. It will take longer than it should to complete the task. 
The provinces and Ottawa will bicker over who is painting outside their lanes and who is cheating whom. If by the end of this decade none of that has happened, however, please put me down as just another credulous Canadian voter duped one more time by the usual suspects. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues the Liberals are right to simplify tax filing. The Sun writes, This shouldn't be the end of tax simplification. It should be the beginning. The Income Tax Act has become an unwieldy document in recent years. Too many Canadians simply do not understand it, and it shouldn't be this way. The Liberals are right to introduce this measure. They should be encouraged to keep heading more in this direction. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Parliamentary Budget Officer releases a report today on the government's performance on processing veterans' disability benefits. As CPAC's Martin Stringer reports, it's an issue that has been dogging governments for years. Mark, the issue has been brought up by Auditors General, Veterans Ombudsman, and now it's Parliamentary Budget Officer who's going to give it a critical appraisal. The inability of the federal government to process and get payments out to veterans suffering disabilities and claiming the disability benefit has been a chronic problem, and it's something that veterans organizations have described as a disgrace. In recent memory, Ministers Julian Fantino and his successor in the Harper government, Aaron O'Toole, both promised to get to the bottom of the issue, but with little success. The Trudeau Liberals promised to fix the problem in the 2015 election, and they gave that task to the new Veterans Affairs Minister, Seamus O'Regan. The government hired 150 new people to process veterans' claims, and eventually named a new minister, Lawrence McCauley. But he, too, has been dogged by a lack of success. There are more than 20,000 unprocessed disability applications. And this summer, Veterans Affairs' own figures revealed that just over a third of veterans' applications were processed within the government's goal of four months. So, Mark, it'll be interesting to see what the Parliamentary Budget Officer has to say about this when he releases his report at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will take part in a live stream conversation as part of the Leaders' Event for Nature and People a side event to the United Nations General Assembly. And Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchette will hold a news conference in Gatineau, Quebec. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, September 28th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.